Hello, and welcome to Podcast Abbreviated, where we break down the best podcasts into short episodes so you can discover new hosts and new podcasts and simply get to the best stuff faster. Welcome back to Podcast Abbreviated. In this episode, Tim and I discuss two more fascinating episodes from the Herd Tell podcast. The first is on the opioid epidemic. This is a great conversation held between Dr. Keith Humphreys and Andrew Donaldson of the Herd Tell podcast. Tim and I break down not only what the opioid epidemic is doing to this country, but that there seems to be multiple epidemics going on in this country that are beyond our ability to control at any level and how we can respond. Let's get right into the first episode. This opioid crisis is still going on and it's taking a dreadful human toll. I I don't even want to quote the statistics on it because I think when we hear numbers like 90,000 plus that died of overdoses last year, it's just numb to us. I was just reading a story today about Huntington, where one in ten people in Huntington is addicted to opioids. You know, it's like almost inconceivable. One in ten people? What happens to the community when one in ten people is addicted to opioids? Economically, socially, the level of safety, what happens to the schooling, you know, how do the hospitals even keep up, the EMS running out of naloxone because so many people are dying. Chris, we hear a lot about the opioid epidemic in this country. And before the COVID pandemic became the dominant bubble in our consciousness, it felt like the opioid epidemic was at the center. And I've heard a lot less about it lately, but I imagine it's only as big and dangerous as ever, especially given the amount of isolation and separation and fear that people are experiencing. With this Dr. Keith Humphreys from episode 17, he talks a little bit about the opioid epidemic and the amount of death that there is around it. And it's something that I don't understand very well. And I would like to understand it better. Do you feel like you have a good understanding of what's going on here and what we should can do about it after listening to this episode? If I may just take this episode and go one level higher in terms of going from opioids to epidemics in our country in general. Because the question of what do we do about it is at the core, and it's something that is so overwhelming. I love that line, like, what what does it do to a community when one in 10 people are addicted? Because it makes you think about it for a second. And as you start to think about it, you realize, I don't know. I don't know. It's bad, really bad. How bad is the only question. And then the problem is that there's like 20 of these things going on at the same time. And they all have these roots that come from forces that are not controllable or do not feel controllable, even if they are. For example, you've got the wars that are going on. So you've got people dying every single day in other countries and you're sitting at home doing your thing and that's happening all the time. You've got over-policing. You've got the 2008 financial crisis, nobody going to jail, the devastation it was wreaking. You've got the CARES Act, the largest upward transfer of wealth in human history. And the effects of these things are bad. You know they're bad. And yet the forces, again, that cause them to happen 
just like the opioid crisis. You've got the Sackler family and you've got them getting out of trouble in the courts. You've got these decisions that are being made by human beings on levels that we don't have access to and don't seem to be paying any price. Tim, I just rattled off a couple examples and there are so many more. How do you cope with the fact that there's so many of these things wreaking such havoc and it doesn't seem like you can do anything about it? I have a little bit of a pessimistic view on how the world functions in general. I try to be as realistic as I can. And as you know, I grew up in Venezuela. I saw a country fall apart in front of my eyes. My fiance Andrea is from Venezuela and the stories that I hear there are really, really sad. But more than that, most of, if not much of the world right now is in a lot more suffering than the first world is and people that are living in the United States. Now, there are many people in the United States that are suffering a lot. I'm not making a blanket statement, but I am saying that there is so much pain and so many problems going on out there that it's, it is overwhelming and it is very hard to cope with. And I fear that I've just developed a little bit of a um, pessimistic attitude where at first, earlier on in my life, I wanted to be an activist and I wanted to jump in and save everybody and try to start an online shop for the Burmese refugees. And I tried to go into activism in the States. And I guess what I'm realizing is find the real problems that are nearest to you that you can have a real impact on. Do not let that pessimism block you from taking action. Don't let the shame and the guilt of not being able to do enough stop you from doing something. And look around at the people and the problems nearest to you and try to be aware that there's very little that you probably can do, but that there might be something that's there that would make a real difference and spend time trying to identify that and then executing on those few things. What about you, Chris? Do you, do you feel overwhelmed about all of the problems in the world? I just had a thought. I agree with everything you just said. And I think the only way that I just as personally can start to deal because you also don't want to close your eyes and ears to the things that are going on. You don't want to ignore the things that are going on in the world. You want to be aware of them because otherwise your perspective, I think, is going to be limited. And I think there's a certain extent that people lean into this that's unhealthy or that I've le leaned into getting super angry at, say, the Sackler family and letting that rage just not be productive in my life. But I still think it's naive. You're, you're going to stay in naivete to just close your eyes and ears to this stuff. So I think the idea is to grieve it. And I don't think as a society, I've been taught how to grieve something like this. Yeah. I don't think we communally even know how. Let's go back down to the opioid crisis specifically. That's what the episode's about. How do we grieve this? How do we lament like in the ancient Jew <laughs> Jews and I think a lot of other traditions where you actually rent your clothes? I mean, even just the thought of that just seems ridiculous. So, Tim, I know this is a curveball, but have you found any success in grief? Have you found any either personally or in these larger worldwide topics? No, and I think you're spot on, which is recognize there's a lot of bad stuff happening. And then what do we do? do about it or is grieving even something to do or is that more of like a experience i don't know because i don't even really know what grieving means <laughs> and that might be the point that i don't think i've ever been taught i didn't know you could be taught to grieve who would teach you to grieve you know it's like maybe if you have 
super emotionally intelligent parents who have to grieve in front of you and they teach you or maybe therapists and thought leaders in society today and psychology how do we grieve the truth of the state of the world while also doing what we can about that which we can that's a that's a good point i don't know what about you I can't provide a lesson on grief with something I don't know how to do, but it does seem like I have a vision that if we were as a society able to grieve something like this, we could then get up off of our knees after we've lamented and look at each other and say like, no, we're not doing that again. This is, this is something that we're not going to accept again. And I think that's the key is that when you don't do that, and you just have the animus being either poured out on somebody else, right? Classic scapegoating. Scapegoating is, is is literally in the Bible where they actually take a goat. And this is interesting, I guess, of a psychological process that people need in order to transfer the suffering and the injustices that we all are very aware of onto somebody else where they took a goat and they're saying, okay, Everything that's going wrong in the society is going to be placed on this. And they did this in ritual form. So it's not as trite as it sounds if I just say it. And in ritual form and in probably very cathartic process, they take all of that animus and they put it on a creature and they send it out and the creature dies. And so that's, I think, what happens instead is we, we do that to each other. It, it just gets misplaced. This kind of goes back to our conversation about the light and the darkness, like... When you repress something, it comes out sideways. When you don't grieve something, it feels like it comes out sideways and never gets processed. And so I think that's something we'll probably be exploring in future episodes. And we'd love to hear if anyone's thoughts on how either individually we can grieve or even more, I think, difficult as a society, what that would look like. Because even that vision of what it might look like might inspire us to go that direction. I love it. Yeah, let's look to find some podcasts that can help us, Chris, learn more about this topic of grief. And maybe we can educate ourselves and our audience through our processing of some new content around that. I think that'd be a good goal for this season. Agreed. Awesome. Well, shall we uh, move on to the fourth abbreviation of the Herd Tell podcast? Let's do it. Our next abbreviation of the Herd Tell podcast is episode 20. Changing the Autism Conversation in Culture and Politics with Eric Garcia. Hope you enjoy. Seems to me like the big technology push now of working from home. This seems like it would be an absolute boon to folks who can kind of pick their own destiny. I think technology might be one of these things where it's going to run way ahead of the policy a little bit and really, really help some of these folks. Yeah, my friend David Perry, he makes this argument all the time. I believe he has dyslexia and his son is autistic and has Down syndrome. And he's written about this a lot. He says that everything that was made accessible during the pandemic has to stay accessible. When I'm working from home and I have my own office desk environment, I'm allowed to create my own environment so that it's not overwhelming sensory-wise. At the same time, it also can make it difficult when you're corresponding with people. So there's only so much you could say over chat or over Slack or over some kind of thing that you can't necessarily read from their facial expressions or their vocal inflections. It just requires employers to listen and it requires them taking it seriously. So, This topic of changing the conversation around autism is something that has been very present in my life because I know a good number of people who identify as autistic and I continually meet more and I've had to educate myself 
on how to collaborate with, communicate with, and how to understand somebody on the neurodivergent spectrum. They process information differently. They seem to see the world a little bit differently. And once you understand a little bit more about that, there can be a lot of very productive and helpful behavior that I can exhibit not knowing that somebody else might need that from me and vice versa. And so it's really great to hear an episode to educate more and more people about that topic. And I bet you a lot of you out there have friends, colleagues, maybe even family that are on the autism spectrum and you may not even know it. So it's definitely something to destigmatize so that people can talk about it, can share and not feel like there's something wrong with them. Because the way I see it, whole brains are different. There's a bell curve of distributions of how we see the world. And you might be somewhere on that curve. And some other people are just somewhere else when it comes to a specific way of interpreting the world, whether it's sight, sound, taste, color, perception. It's really a beautiful thing. And there's a lot of good that comes out of working with different kinds of people to bring the best to a project or goal. Yeah, I think one way to potentially create a culture or to influence the culture in a way that's more conducive for people who are neurodivergent is to understand in yourself how neurodivergent you are in relationship to other people, say, for example, in the workplace to where you have preferences that you enjoy. Maybe you like to work at home. Maybe you like to go in the office. Maybe you like to email someone when you're communicating or when you want to slack somebody or, you know, message somebody, or you like to just do a phone call or you like to pop into an office. I have, I know mine. I know what I I hate emails. I hate them so much (laughs) because don't tell your boss. I no, I, I just don't send them like, you know, only when I have to. And so otherwise, if I'll just use those other channels because it just takes me so long to write emails because I'm I'm like weirdly perfectionistic with emails. And so it just takes too long when I could literally have just said the same thing and communicated it better in half the time. So when you recognize that in yourself, all you have to do is expand that to other components of life. We had a company that even recognized the value of understanding your own preferences. And what they did was you took a personality test and then they gave you four blocks and those blocks were colored. And then you stack ranked those blocks in terms of your overall preference. And so say, for example, red was be bright, be brief, be gone, because these types of people do not want to have 30 minute conversations about the weekend or even about the project that aren't relevant. And you put them on your desk. And so when you walk over to somebody, you know, hey, you know, they would appreciate this type of communication style. Now you have your own style and you're going to have to mix, right? You're going to have to mesh. And that's the whole point of all this is that when you're in a workforce or even just in a community or society in general, you have different people with different preferences having to mesh. And it's not just one should dominate the other. And so with autism, like you just said, Tim, the more that we're aware of what those differences are, the more that you can understand, okay, hey, it's not going to be about me dominating them. It's not about them dominating me. But we got to find a way to work this out. And I think that's the most productive thing even companies can do, right? Because you want to get the most productivity about your whole workforce, including everyone who's autistic or is on that spectrum. And so it seems like it's going to be profitable to create more of a culture that has that understanding. How have you... Have you changed your behaviors or changed your ways you've approached people who self-identify as on the autism spectrum or have been diagnosed? Do you have any specifics around what you do differently or your perspective there? 
Well, yeah. So one thing is to be very clear in communication and make very clear specific requests because from what I understand, sometimes people on the autism spectrum have a little bit more of a difficult time reading faces and being able to pick up context clues or to be able to read a room in that way. So it's really important, especially over Zoom and in these other formats where, you know, you're effectively a a square on a screen. Sometimes they might not pick up the sarcasm in what you're saying and you need to make sure that you are being really really clear not relying on those devices i think another thing is making literal requests and making sure you sum up a discussion with the expectations for everybody now a lot of these are just good practices but i think those are a couple of them and i don't want to go too deep because i, I don't have a lot of knowledge on the topic and i don't want to mislead anybody or, or speak for that community but i think the more important thing is to be open to it have that conversation and ask the person how you can be a better communicator a better collaborator with them but it's also relying on other people to do their skill set and something that you were talking about just now that really sticks out to me is we're all different we all work differently one of the night and day moments in my life was being comfortable with my own weaknesses and strengths and requesting and searching for an environment in which i am not responsible for things that are exactly what i'm weak at and in my past life and previous work environments i felt like i had to prove it to my boss i had to take everything on i had to do a little bit of everything and there's some things that are so easy for other people and they're so hard for me it's like painful And so I've been working to find and identify an environment where I can do what I do best. And this goes all the way back to Naval and your specific knowledge and finding a way to be you authentically. And that might involve admitting to your weaknesses and asking other people to do the things that are tough for you. So with that said, what about you, Chris? What what are your concluding thoughts and remarks on this series of abbreviated content? Yes. So see if I can tie in the final conclusion of this episode, which is if I I think I can. So with this, what I want to start to try to do, and so I'm just put this on myself is to, as I approach new people in the workforce or even now old people, because you know, I've got existing relationships is to be the one to communicate very graciously my preferences and say, Hey, I don't like this. This is what I like. Please just slack me or call me and then saying, Hey, what do you like? I'd love to know what you like. And so how that goes to this whole series is this idea of instead of either A, you know, get some policy to change, B, get a group together to pound our fists about it. Maybe the best way to do it is first to change in yourself and start to actually do the thing that you want. And again, with something like the opioid crisis, this might not apply. But with this type of thing, you know, it's like, hey, just start trying it. And then in your spheres of influence, you're probably actually going to see change. And if people are attracted to the thing that you're doing, if the thing that you're doing works, if it's something that is beneficial, makes you more productive, makes less stress, then people are going to be attracted to that. I'm always like the the word good news, right? The gospel. I'm always like, you should never have to sell good news. You should never have to sell something that is beneficial You should just do it. And then if people see that it's good for you and they want it, then they're just going to mimic it. And it's going to spread like that. That's what I feel like part of our culture is, is to figure out our best ways to live into our ever-changing society. 
That's what humans are uniquely incredible at is being able to change on a dime because we are able to live in such diverse habitats and niches that we need to continue that human tradition of figuring out what works, trying it, and then sharing that across our culture and society. And I would first now need to do it myself, which is hard because it's takes a lot of courage to, to do something new and you're stepping out into uncharted waters because implicitly if no one's doing it then it's a risk but it's uh you know what else are we doing in this life right i mean that's what we're doing right now though right we're trying something new we are digesting information sharing it with each other sharing it with others trying something brand new creating video abbreviations of long-form podcast content diving in and debating discussing and applying the lessons from the content that we're abbreviating and putting it out there for all of you to hear and see and smell and taste okay (laughs) not smelling and tasting yet that's a little weird but here we are doing something new and unique and putting ourselves out there and we want to continue that and hopefully you're finding value from listening to these podcasts please do take a moment to share this podcast with somebody else in your life go check out youtube.com and search podcast abbreviated and check out some of our video content it is something that chris and i work very hard on and we would be honored and delighted if you would take a look subscribe to our channel and let us know what you think we're here to have a conversation suggest some content that you might want us to discuss and we would love to get on it i think next up i'd love to find something about grief since i came up in Mm -hmm. today's podcast and see if we can learn a little bit more about the role of grief in our own lives and society especially with all that's going on And the podcast abbreviated videos on YouTube, podcastabbreviated.com or Facebook are great conversation starters because right before this podcast, I was going on a bike ride with two friends and I was like, I need to kind of work and chew through these topics for a little bit. And I brought it up and one of the guys I'd never met before in my life. And I brought up the first episode that we did and we did the bike ride. We stopped for a beer. We chatted about it and we talked about it for just like 30 minutes. And at the end of the bike ride, this guy was like, we need to chat again. I never met him in my life. And he was like, we need to chat again. I saw the smile on his face. And it was just because these types of conversations, I think people want to have. And so a video like this could be a great primer to start these types of conversations because you never know where they're going to lead. And it kind of creates that bond of, hey, what do you think about this complex topic and not being fed from the news or some sort of big corporation of what we should be talking about. These are very dynamic topics that are, I think, underrepresented. And that's what we're trying to do is make them adequately represented in our society and uh, we hope these videos can help to go to your point uh my brother actually used our naval video series at work to start a discussion with his colleagues because he was responsible for a work discussion you know a roundtable, and so he played a couple of our podcast abbreviated videos and had a good discussion there and then i also know a friend of mine who is very active in the church groups actually a mutual friend of ours used our uh, Jordan Peterson abbreviation of the Old Testament to start a discussion. So I do agree that these are great pieces of content, even with your partner, your friends, your kids, whoever they may be, watch a podcast abbreviated and have your own discussion, just like we are today. We look forward to you sharing that with us, maybe, and what, what comes out of those. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.